Last week, Leanne launched us into what's going to be a 10-part series in the book of Mark. Isn't it just fun to dive into God's Word and to just take it piece by piece and just discover Jesus in some whole fresh ways? And last week, you got to talk about being baptized in water. And, and as Jesus did that, his really first public act, the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And there was this booming voice from heaven that said, this is my son that I love and whom I am well pleased. And, and tonight we're going to take a look at the next thing that happens as we continue in this series called There's an App for That. Uh, there's an app for what we're about to talk about tonight, as, along with all of life's issues and problems. And Jesus is God's answer to us in every human point of need. Tonight is such just one of those gutsy, strong, visceral stories of Jesus' life and the amazing thing that he did for us. There really is an app for that. It was uh, a couple of months ago, uh, Anne's mom, Bonnie's uh, birthday. Uh, She lives with us, and then she sneaks off to Arizona for three months during the year and then calls and texts and sends me pictures about the sunshine to kind of stick it to me and invite me to come and visit. And, and her kids got her, among other things, an iPhone for her birthday in December. And, and, I, and I knew that Bonnie was going to do well with the phone calls. She does well talking on the phone. I knew she was going to have fun with emails because we call her the techno granny. She's just great emailer. I thought probably she would pick up texting. Boy, has she ever... Man, she has. She, in fact, as soon as she saw the sun driving into California before she got to Arizona, she texted me a picture of the sunshine. She's, she's into that. I didn't know if she would get into downloading apps. Just didn't know if techno 81-year-old granny would get into apps. Boy, did she ever. Mm-hmm. Bonnie loves games. And we showed her how to get a Scrabble, the app for Scrabble. And there were several of us shortly, a couple of, I don't know, a couple hours or something after her birthday. And there was a bunch of people, family around. She's usually really engaged and excited to talk to people. And She's over there quiet, and then she's looking, and I thought, well, she's emailing or texting somebody, and quiet for a long time, and finally one of the kids says, Mom, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm playing Scrabble, she said. (laughs) There's an app for that. There is. Thank God, well before iPhones, God came through with apps. We're going to talk tonight about temptation. There is an app to trample temptation. I I won't ask the question, but probably many of us uh, don't have to go back very far to a time that we experienced some temptation. Uh, maybe you had some wimpy temptations this week. That was the kind I had. Maybe for you this week, you had some pretty aggressive lion-like temptations. They kind of go, come and go in waves. I had some wimpy temptations. Ann and I went out for a, a date brunch. I think it was Monday. And uh, we decided that uh, because I'm not good for much on Monday, that maybe the best thing we could do is take a look at the USA Today. So I snuck outside, and I had my four little quarters, and I went to the USA box, and it was my lucky day. The door was ajar. Uh-huh. God wanted to bless me with a free paper. Uh-huh. So I opened the door, and I take out the USA Today, and I shut the door, and I put the four quarters in, and I pulled the door back open, and I shut it again. Just a quick little temptation, but, you know, I decided... My integrity is not worth a buck and a USA Today. There was a little temptation. Turned out pretty well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that you didn't save your applause because a couple of days later, I was on my way home. It was kind of late. It was a long day, and I thought to myself, a little comfort food sounds good. My good friends, Ben and Jerry, doesn't exactly fit into my uh, diet and my health regimen, but brought it home, ate the whole thing proudly, gladly, 1,200 calories, Ben and Jerry. (laughs) Yeah. That, 
That one did not work out so well for me. Just want you to know, not quite so well. What temptations have you experienced recently? God doesn't give us temptations. Just living in a world brings temptations. And certainly the devil himself and his lousy minions called demons sometimes bring a spiritual energy behind those as well. And what Satan wants to do in his encounter with Jesus is to give Jesus some bait and get that hook in his mouth and reel him in. Because Satan, really, the liar, has only three outcomes in mind. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. Not all that different, even though I'm a, some would think a snooty fly fisherman, and my intention is to catch and release, but boy, am I interested in giving them the bait to bite. And when I do that, I like to put something on the end of the fly rod here. By the way, for those of you that care, uh, this is a sage rod. Very cool rod. Very cool. Has a beautifully balanced Cortland reel with it. And for those of you that don't know what that means, it means my equipment is a lot better than I am when it comes to, comes to fishing. That's, that's what that means right there. So let's imagine that I am at a spring creek up in uh, central, south central Idaho, And those are very smart fish in very small, clear springs. And I might take just the smallest little parachute atoms fly. And I'm going to use that. Or maybe I'm over in eastern Idaho on the uh, south fork of the Snake River where I'm in a drift boat. It's hot summer day. We are flying by rapidly. And we're just slapping these big, old, ugly bugs against the bank approximating what a flying ant looks like at that particular season. Now, what these two flies have in common, one of which is so small you can't even really see it, and this big old ugly thing, what they have in common is that they're both fakes, absolute counterfeits, and secondly, they both have a big ugly hook hidden away inside. That's Satan's interest in your life to throw you a counterfeit that looks good, feels good, or sounds good, and gets that hook in to reel you in. That's his only interest in throwing temptation our way. And thankfully, Jesus Christ went there first for us. As we take a look in just a moment in Mark chapter 1, we're going to read two verses there about immediately after Jesus being baptized in water, he may still be dripping wet for all we know. It says immediately at once he was sent into the wilderness and there he was tempted by the devil and he experienced every range of human temptation. It's the Apostle Paul that, John that later writes in 1 John chapter 2 and he says, everything that's of the world is the lust of the flesh, it feels good. The lust of the eyes, it looks good. And the pride of life, it sounds good. And thank God Jesus Christ came. It says that he went into the wilderness, that he was there for 40 days, and he was tempted, and he came out successfully. The 40 days in the wilderness. We think about 40 days. If we kind of start there in Mark's gospel and work our way back chronologically in reverse through the Old Testament, we find Elijah the prophet. He was called by God to fast for 40 days. Go back before, there was Moses, the great deliverer and leader, fasted for 40 days. Just a little before that, we find Moses in the context of the nation of Israel coming out of their slavery in Egypt for 40 years, living in a desert, a wilderness. Jesus is greater 
than all of those. But it also brings us back to your third chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 where God had made this beautiful creation and He placed in it this first humankind, this one called Adam that was male and female. They were one with God, one with one another, and one with nature. And in the middle of that, a slimy, slithering serpent came in, the devil himself, and tempted them. And there they fell into temptation and sin and were banished from the beauty of the garden and were driven out into a wilderness separated from God. Jesus Christ, his first act after being baptized in water, receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit, hearing the affirmation of his identity, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. His first act is to rush to the desert, to meet the devil and reclaim what the first Adam had lost. That's the power and the authority and the freedom that comes in this amazing story tonight of Jesus' temptation and modeling the way for us in how to be successful in encountering that and coming through with victory and freedom. Let's take a look at what Mark says about it. In Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. At once... The Spirit led him out into the desert. As he was in the desert 40 days, he was being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Isn't that great? Mark is a man of action, right? Some of you here last weekend saw Isaac's presentation of Mark. This is a man of action. He does get some details in, doesn't he? He's the only one of the three gospel writers recording this that bothered to mention wild animals. He didn't mention fasting. He didn't give us the specific nature of the temptation. He just, he just tells us about wild animals, angels, and Jesus was out there for 40 days. That's what Mark tells us because he's off to the next thing. Thank you very much. And some other guys, like the methodical Luke the historian, is going to bother to fill in the details. And we'd like to know some of those details tonight. So I'm going to flip over and you're going to see on the screen 12 verses in Luke chapter 4 where he fleshes out a little more of the story. Listen as I read. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written. Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, 
it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Wow, this is the amazing, colossal fight and war of mankind. The fight and the war of Satan himself and Jesus Christ, won by the Word and by the Spirit. The first two things that we discover is that we need God's Spirit and God's Word in this passage. First, we need God's Spirit. You need His power. We need to be led and filled and sent by Him. In fact, those are the three words that these three synoptic gospel writers use to describe what happened for Jesus as He came out of His baptism in water, that Jesus, Luke says, full of the Holy Spirit. Matthew says it this way in Matthew 4.1, Jesus was led by the Spirit. And we read Mark said this, that once Jesus was sent by the Spirit, full and led and sent. We are a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-sent church. We're overt about that. We believe in that. We ask God for that. As Paul writes so well in the book of Ephesians, be continually being filled with the Spirit. Jesus, filled with the Spirit, saturated every pore of His being inside and out, filled with God's Spirit. The baptism with the Holy Spirit, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit with power, as certainly as water begins to completely cover a person who is immersed in, in the baptistry. Jesus, filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and now the one who is our baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Jesus led by the Spirit, the picture of a parent reaching out and taking one, a child by the hand and leading them out of the 360 degrees of options, leading them down a certain and particular path. And then, of course, Luke, or excuse me, Mark, the man of action, uses the word sent by the Spirit into the wilderness. The same word he uses at times to describe Jesus casting out demons, sent, thrust, compelled right into the face of the devil himself in the Spirit. And how could Jesus go with such confidence? And how could he return with absolute victory? How could he respond to each of the three temptations by making one statement, and in each case, the devil so completely defeated that he stops that temptation and moves to another? First of all, because he went in the power of the Holy Spirit. And how do we receive and live in the power of God's Spirit. Jesus made it very simple. He told a story. I told a story later. It's recorded in Luke about a father and all of us who are parents are imperfect. We acknowledge that. And in our imperfection, even in our imperfection, if a child asks for something, we want to give them a good thing. If the child is hungry and asks for a piece of bread, we don't give them a rock and say, chew on this for a while. And Jesus said this, if that's true of those of us that are human and imperfect, how much greater your Father in heaven will give to those who ask the Holy Spirit. You have not because you ask not. And so we're a church that invites people to ask and receive for the fullness of God's Spirit. And you may have your initial encounter and experience with that. And the fruit of God's life, the fruit of the Spirit begins to be more apparent in your life. The gifts of God begin to flow through you in ways that they haven't before you. And then to live a lifestyle of receiving the fresh oil of anointing, using that Old Testament terminology, that beautiful picture of the freshness of God's Spirit coming 
making our lives alive. The two ways that Jesus went victoriously into a wilderness to reclaim for us from the devil what the first Adam had lost was that he went in the power of God's Spirit. There is an application for that in your life. Be being filled with the Spirit. The second thing that you need is you need the the authority of God's Word. And as Jesus responds in each of these temptations with Scripture, we know that that was the power that, that he used to overcome these temptations. Let's take just a minute to walk our way through those, the rest of our time this evening. The first application that we see is the, is the identity app. You notice there that, that what Jesus was first tempted to do was to doubt his identity. The devil said this, if you are the Son of God. What had Jesus just heard in his water baptism? Minutes, hours, days, weeks potentially, we don't know, before. This is the Son that I love, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father stating on his Son, Jesus Christ, who he is. This is my Son. This is the one I love. I am pleased with him. The devil comes with the temptation to doubt identity. If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus, we're told, had fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, and then he became hungry. Have any of you ever heard that or read that and say, I probably would too? Yeah, about 40 days, I'd get there as well. What we understand about fasting is that generally after a two or three day period for people that go on extended fasts, that there's a real nuisance in the way they feel with appetite and hunger. And then after three or four days, many times their metabolism shifts in ways that says, well, I guess if you're in a fetus, I'm going to slow down. And then they go on for an extended period of time, commonly people for 40 days or so. And they don't feel all that excited or energetic, but they don't feel particularly hungry necessarily. Until the body begins to turn on its organs and begin to uh, cannibalize cells from the organs to find energy for life. And at that point, sincere and genuine and life-threatening hunger pangs begin to set in. Jesus had apparently come to that point. It now is physically life and death for him. He is either going to eat soon or he is going to die. The devil comes and exploits that opportunity, that opportunity for Jesus to continue his life in his own strength and says, why don't you turn the stones into bread? Now, do you think Jesus was able to do that? I think so. Jesus, Jesus, absolute divine Son of God, didn't lose any of His divinity in coming to earth, becoming perfect 100% human as well. So what did this look like in Jesus using divine supernatural power while living on earth, never used those to His own benefit, only extended supernatural grace for the benefit of others, so that at the end of his life, he could say to you, I have experienced life with exactly the same limitations as you, experiencing exactly the same temptations as you, and came through in the power of God's Spirit and the authority of his word as the perfect, sinless man. Wow. So he looks at a stone. He can, he can, he can turn it into bread. A good thing. Bread's a good thing. And he responded with God's word and said, It 
is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. Matthew, I think, is the one that continues that passage in Deuteronomy, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Jesus' temptation to doubt his own identity, the temptation that appealed here to the lusts of the flesh, to do what felt good in that circumstance, at the end of his fasting, responds with God's word. It is written. And that's why we are people of God's word and scripture. It is written. Jesus had Bibled up. He was ready for battle. He went to the wilderness and he knew what God's word was. And he was able to quote out of Deuteronomy. Some of those Deuteronomy pages are still dusty and stuck together for some of us, I know. And I can get confused back there as well. But we're people of God's Word. 20 minutes a day, you can read through the Bible in a year. 30 minutes a day of listening. You can go from one end to the other of Scripture. We're people of God's Word because it is the authority with which we approach the evil one. And I don't know if Jesus raised his voice. He could have. But volume does not increase the authority of Scripture. Jesus may have been angry and passionate. That would be appropriate. But it wouldn't have increased the authority. The authority in which he came was, it is written. And when he battled up with God's Word, which is talked about in Scripture as a living sword, he cut off the power of the devil's temptation and stepped on in victory for you and for me. It is written. The identity app is you are God's child. He loves you. And in Christ, you are well-pleasing to him. It is written, and it is so. The second temptation that came Jesus' way needs a worship app to it. This was the temptation to take a shortcut. We read there in the text that the devil led Jesus up to a high place, and so apparently it was one of the mountains out there outside uh, in Israel, someplace outside of of, uh, Jerusalem. It was a place that he could look a distance across the horizon, and And the devil said to him there as he showed him the kingdoms of the world, not now just the physical nature of the land that lay out before him, but the spiritual nature and the authority behind nations of the world. And Satan said, it's mine. It's rightfully mine. It's what Satan had stolen from Adam back in that first wilderness encounter or garden encounter where God had placed Adam, male and female, that he made him in his likeness and image, And as the serpent came in and deceived them, and as they followed that deception into sin, this planet that they were to rule and have dominion over had been given over to what Paul calls the God of this world, small g. Satan is a liar, but he knew what he was talking about when he said to Jesus, I can give you a shortcut. You don't have to have a tomb to have a kingdom. You don't have to have a crown of thorns before you get a crown of gold. I can give you a shortcut to get from here to there. I know what you're about. And Jesus looked at the temptation 
It was a temptation that looked good. Shortcuts feel good. It was an appealing way to go. And he said instead, he said, I am destined to be a worshiper. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Because the condition for Jesus to take the shortcut was for him to bow down and worship the devil himself. Worship, worship is underrated in its importance, its application, and its power. Worship is certainly what we did tonight. We used music as a form of that. Music has been used throughout Scripture as well as other art forms as worship. When worship is expressed in music or in art, usually it's done in the cultural context of the particular society in which it's expressed because it's a cultural language of the soul. The music that we use is a cultural artifact. Worship is far more than singing truthful songs in whatever preference we have. Worship is, in fact, the act of living, deciding, being, and speaking. Jesus understood worship. You shall worship and love the Lord your God and serve Him only. Because every decision you make is worship. Every word you speak is worship. Every action you take is an act of worship. The only question is, who is being worshiped in that decision, in that word, and in that action? Because the one who is preeminent at that moment is the one who's being worshiped. It may be an act of worship to God, following Him and His leadership and guidance. And so I choose an act to follow Him. He is being honored. I may choose to worship myself. It's a form of idolatry. Jared wants to do this. It feels good to him right now. He's going to do this thing. It may be an act of worship as Jesus was being enticed toward Satan himself in following his leadership. The question is, how and whom am I expressing worship? Jesus said it this way, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God alone. Serve Him alone. The application of worship. There's no shortcuts. That's why for couples who are in love and committing themselves to one another and anticipating marriage have huge sexual decisions to make in our cultural context. In fact, most of us have huge sexual decisions to make. Well, let's apply it in that particular case. We live in a culture that says, first of all, sex needs to be done and expressed and experienced in a committed relationship. That is a high cultural standard. There are many lower cultural standards. So what is a couple to do? We're committed. We're going to get married. We're planning to do that. We're in a committed relationship. And what do we do in decisions about life that are so difficult? We go with Jesus to his word and say, it is written. And the act of making a decision then of sexual purity around God's word is a powerful expression of worship. It's precisely what Jesus did. Rather than letting the culture around him determine what is an appropriate standard, And rather than letting his own feelings confirm what was the standard, he came to God's Word and said, It is written. 
And so when I have the tendency to be embittered toward another, I can come to God's Word, and it is written. Be tenderhearted and forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. When I want to speak gossip about or toward another, I come back to God's Word. It is written, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only those words that are good to build others up. When I want to lash out in anger because that's the emotion that I'm experiencing, I read, it is written in your anger, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your, on your anger because when we respond to it is written. It is a decision, a word in action that's bursting with worship to God. There's an application for that. Let's wrap it up with the third and final of Jesus' temptations. As Jesus is now led to the very highest place of the, the uh, temple in Jerusalem, and this is a trust application. His temptation was to test instead of trust. Some of you may have been to Jerusalem. You would know there that the old ancient city that's still there <clears throat> is built on a hill. And then on top of the hill, there is a mound called the Temple Mount. It's not really much of a mountain, but it is a mound. So the temple's the structure, which was by far in Jesus' day, the largest, both by volume and by height, built structure in Jerusalem. So it's built in the highest place of the city, and it is the highest structure in the city. And the devil took Jesus to the highest point of the temple. He's now standing at the heart of God's interaction with his people, the heart of the religious system that had been developed around that, much of it wrong and bondage-producing. So it's this mixture of two true spirituality and human-made religious practice. It is the epitome of what it means to be a part of spiritual and religious community. And the test that was the... uh, temptation that was given to Jesus was, well, if you're going to quote Scripture, I can quote Scripture. The devil himself quoted verbatim out of Psalm 91 that God would not let his servant be harmed. Jesus, make a scene here. Go ahead, put him to the test. If he really is who he says he is to you, If he really is your father and really does love you and really is pleased with you, put him to the test. Doesn't the Bible say, and it's written, that he won't let his loved one fall, that his angels will come and they'll lift him up in his arms so he won't be harmed. Jesus, you want to toss Scripture my way? I'll toss it back to you. Misusing Scripture, because that passage, while true, was never intended to be manipulated to put God to the test in this kind of way. It would have been a wrong use. And Jesus responds as he consistently did with the authority of God's word. And he said, it says this. And as he quotes, do not put your Lord God to the test. Once again, quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, it is written. Satan appeals here to the lust of the eyes. It looks good. Again, challenging identity, wanting Jesus to trade in his trust in God for a test of God's love. How does that work for us? Maybe some of you tonight feel that you're in a place a lot like Jesus was in the wilderness, friendless, lonely, homeless, 
hungry, <laughs> outcast, no one around. Things aren't working all that well for you. He was broke at the time, as far as we know. That, that time of testing, for us, the temptation to say, well, if God really loves me so much, why does he let this happen to me? Things aren't going that well in my life right now. I have a hard time finding his favor and his blessing and his prosperity and his love. Maybe it's time to put him to a little test. Got a little bill here. So God, if you really do love me, if I really am your child that you love and are well pleased in, by Friday, you take care of that bill. If you, Big boy, I'm putting you to the test. That's Jesus' test. And he said, it's written. Do not put your Lord God to the test. And he continued in the middle of his hunger and his loneliness and his desperateness and his fighting the colossal fight of his life on our behalf. He quoted God's word and came back in the power of God's spirit, regaining and winning ultimately on the cross and the resurrection from the tomb what the first Adam had lost for you. And now he says to you, can I give you forgiveness and restore the relationship with God that was broken in Adam's giving in to the slimy deception of a serpent regained by Jesus Christ, God's Son, in his dramatic battle with the devil, and now gives us the gift of forgiveness of sin, the fullness and baptism of his Holy Spirit, his word to use and speak as his child with absolute authority. Never in an effort to please him. That's already settled. Never in an effort to look good to others. That was one of Jesus' temptations. Never in an effort to try to earn or deserve or to make God happy in some way or to pay back. No, that's all been settled in Christ. But to, as a worshiper, to live up to your eternal destiny, you were destined to be God's daughter. You were destined to be his son. You were created to experience and exude his likeness and image. You were designed to rule and reign forever with him. And through the power of the gift and the power of Jesus' love and his gift on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, so beautifully illustrated and demonstrated by several tonight as they were baptized in water, so you can step in to your destiny. So what's your decision? Maybe tonight it's to affirm your identity in Christ. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased, the Father said. Is that you tonight? Maybe tonight, that as you've seen these baptized in water, you said, I want to get right with God. That's my decision tonight. And and tonight, in just a moment, as we, as we pray together, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'll use my words, but you can draft off of it. It may reflect what's happening in your heart. It's your word of accepting God's forgiveness. And tonight, he, he, he's good to his word. He absolutely will do what you ask. If you confess, like all of us have, that we've sinned, then he gives you forgiveness in place of that sin and cleanses you from all unrightness and unrighteousness and gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit and says about you what he said of Jesus Christ. 
You are my child, whom I love. In you I'm well pleased. Why would you not accept that gift of grace tonight? Maybe you're making a decision tonight about worshiping with God with your heart and all of your heart. And, and even though I just mentioned a couple of applications, you knew what God was speaking to you about. It's a place of your life of failure for you, and you've struggled with that thing. You've struggled with it in part because you feel guilty for it. You've struggled in part because you've tried to do different and better, but you found yourself going back into those patterns. And you've struggled in part because you wonder what it really means to live in grace and still have this tension of wanting not to do certain things that are called sin. Isn't that kind of a messy deal? If God already completely loves me, accepts me, if I'm absolutely forgiven already, why do I have this tension of wanting to live differently and better? It's because you're a worshiper. And anything that violates God's graciousness and goodness and holiness and love goes sideways with you inside because you are a worshiper that is expressed primarily and substantially by following God in His rightness and holiness. Of course you're uncomfortable when you make decisions and have attitudes and express words and other actions that somehow go sideways. Tonight, your decision is to serve Him only. Tonight, finally, maybe your decision is to trust in God's love. I just know that some of you tonight, even in the last few hours or days, you've been struggling with that. Life isn't going so well for you, and you have heard the temptation come across your mind. If He loves me so much, why does He let me experience such a mess? And tonight you're going to say, I'll believe you without seeing. I will trust you without feeling it. I will honor you for who you are and believe that you love me and that you'll care for me. What's your decision tonight? Let's pray together. Jesus Christ, oh, even just saying your name is just, is just an extraordinarily moving thing for me tonight. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Oh, man, you're, you're so good. Thank you, Jesus, for jumping out of the Jordan River and rushing to the wilderness to do war on Satan. This very real creature, this powerful being that was created by God as a glorious creation to worship God that, that went his own way and took part of heaven with him, those demonic minions but now just want to destroy as many lives as possible. Thank you, Jesus, for rushing to the wilderness to do battle and that you won. And that when you rushed to the cross and gave your all and burst back to life, you won finally for all of eternity victory over the evil one who is now absolutely, utterly defeated. Jesus Christ, tonight, this is our prayer. We have sinned. Some of you tonight, now you're joining me in this prayer. Some of you that are here to get right with God, this is your prayer. I've sinned. I receive your forgiveness. Jesus Christ, come live in me and make me forever one of God's children. Here's another prayer that some of you are praying. Tonight, God, I choose to live life your way. Not because somehow I need to please you to get right with you, but because I want to live my destiny 
of living up to the standard that you've called me, your child. Help me, Holy Spirit, live a godly life. And some of this is your prayer tonight. Lord, I've been tempted to not trust you, but to test you. At times I've wondered where you are. I don't see you clearly. I don't always hear you clearly. My circumstances don't look all that together at times. Tonight, in love, I choose to trust you. So, Father, tonight we've come to you in the power of Jesus' name, receiving forgiveness and the fullness of your Spirit and falling in love in a whole new awe-struck way with your Word May we be your children that walk in your fullness, led by your Spirit, thrust into your world, reminded of your word. And may we say this week, it is written, it is written, it is written. May we walk in the fullness of your Spirit and the authority of your word and in the power of your victory and freedom. Oh, may our lives be free, free indeed. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.